You're listening to the Luke Page Podcast, episode number 10. Yes, we've hit double digits with the the um, episode count. I'm really pumped about it because I spoke to a few months ago. I spoke to someone that's got a you know an established podcast, and they they told me that most people don't get to ten episodes. So here I am. Here I am. I'm really happy about it, and things are only getting bigger and better. And what better way to celebrate than to have an amazing guest on? And um, today I've got with me Kale Brock. So this guy is a really talented um, guy. He's a number of things. He's an entrepreneur. He's a surfer. He's a filmmaker, he's an author, he's a change maker, and um, for such a young age of only 28, he's, a, he's accomplished so much, and, he's only, and I feel it's just the beginning for him. Um, and he's just released, recently released a documentary called The Longevity Film. When I found out about this, I, um, I bought tickets for my wife and I, we went to go watch it. So basically what it's about, Kale actually travels the world and he studies cultures that uh, in the world that live a longer, happier, and healthier life than anywhere else around the globe. So, um, you know, we learn what they do, how how they think, what they believe in, how they show up every day, how they move, what they eat, everything like that. So it's a really awesome documentary. Highly recommend it. So we're going to go through um, the details of that in this episode. But not only that, it's also how how Kale got to where he's at in his life right now. You know, he, he lives a life different to the norm. He lives life more on his terms, and he's got a major focus and emphasis on what he does about giving back to people in the world. So he's a really inspiring guy. So enjoy this episode. I loved it. And just before we get into it, just to let you know, I'm opening up on the Monday, the 9th of December, I'm opening up applications for my brand new online course called The Leading Coach. This is for new and early stage coaches that want to learn how to get clients, build their business, and live a life that they love. So really pumped about this. Uh, make sure you follow me on Instagram for the details of this, which is at Luke Page underscore, underscore, underscore. But yes, the launch is on Monday, the 9th of December, and I'm going to be opening up applications for only seven days. So you got to be quick. So jump on Instagram, follow me. But lastly, let's enjoy this episode first. Welcome to the Luke Page Podcast. I am here to inspire people to live a life that they love. It's why I do what I do. Join me on the pursuit of my life's vision and my own business success through meeting amazing business owners, entrepreneurs, and forward-thinking people that are here to make impact and change the world. Uh, mate, Oz, do you know what? Well, thanks, Kale. Thanks for coming on, first of all. Um, I was putting together some some questions yesterday, yeah, to, to ask you. The first thing I was kind of curious was about your name because I know you've got a, a like, it's Kale Brock, but then when I was watching your documentary you, and your Instagram, like, you got different kind of names. So, like, what do we actually call you? <laughs> <laughs> no, it is just Kale. It's just Kale. That was um, something... Uh, yeah, I was born with was Kale Brock. Yeah, uh, I just adopted the Instagram name at Kale's Broccoli just because. <laughs> okay, cool, man. So, um, I came across you like I don't know, maybe it would have been I don't know, six months ago or so. Like I, I, I took up surfing at the start of the year, fallen in love with it. You know, I grew up skating, um, and it's turned it turned out to be like almost like a, a new thing that I do now that's replaced skating, the thing that I used to do. Um, and then I found that you've got that YouTube channel where you're teaching people how to surf so that's how i've come across you but then upon following you on instagram i've discovered that you're also 
make documentaries. Um, and you, your most recent one, which is a longevity film. My wife and I went to see, saw it, see it um, a couple of weeks ago. Really inspiring stuff, man. We loved it. We started putting in some of the things that we've learned there. So can you just like fill us in? Like there's a little bit about yourself, where this all started, what else that you do that I don't know of? Um, yeah, so I sort of started when I was, I started surfing when I was 10 and that obviously has been a big passion of mine for the last eight. 10 years and 28 now um but in the middle stages there when i was 16 i was diagnosed with a heart condition called supraventricular tachycardia mm. uh and that uh, experience sort of propelled me down um more of a conventional health path so i went to the cardiologist and was given this diagnosis and was given a pretty pretty poor prognosis. You know, it was um, come and have this surgery where we destroy a piece of the heart. We're going to burn the sinoatrial node to try and reset it. And I thought, well, that seems a bit silly. Like, um, why don't we actually just try and fix it? Uh, so mm. I said to the cardiologist, I said, look, has nutrition got anything to do with it? Um, and he said, no, nutrition's got nothing to do with it. Now, I didn't believe him at that time. I was vegetarian, so I knew everything. Yeah. <laughs> but um, I uh, went down a different route and trained under a naturopath for, uh, in the end, about eight or nine years. And uh, she was able to teach me in a pretty short amount of time some really basic health principles, which um, uh, totally changed things around. So within about six to 18 months, I had reversed that condition and now manage it successfully just using diet and lifestyle uh, and some supplements. No, no medication, no surgery, no uh, conventional medicine. So that, that was my um, big sort of wake up call that there was yep. more to discuss and learn in this uh, health and wellness space. This was really early on, you know, where no one was making kombucha, no one was doing all the different things that we've have become a lot more mainstream now. Mm. Um, so yeah, that that was sort of uh, my starting point, and then I had a, quite a journalistic mindset at that point. Very curious, and uh, wanted to get into journalism. Got into journalism, but then got offered a job at Channel Ten and worked at Channel Ten as a journalist for two years, and that was my study. Uh, and then from there, went freelance and have been sort of specialising in health and well-being, but also started building this body of content in the surfing space as well. Um, so that's kind of my main thing. I've done a whole bunch of other stuff as well, but my main um, avenues, my main uh, pursuits in life revolve around storytelling and surfing. So it's it's pretty nice to be able to bring it back to something so simple because those are both things that I absolutely love and have both turned into occupations. Yeah, awesome, man. Like, because I mean, you know, the the conventional thing is you go out there and you work a job, you get uh, paid a lot of money, you work up the, you work your way up the ladder but you're never happy and fulfilled in what you're doing, right? So, like, what is there been someone in your life, like, what, what's made you kind of follow more your heart, I guess, as opposed to doing what majority do? Uh, it took me about nine months of working full-time at Channel 10 to realise that it was a stupid idea um, yeah. to drive into an office and sit under artificial lighting with artificial air, air temperatures, um, you know, for eight or nine hours a day, I just thought this is not the way I'm going to live my life uh, and get paid a pittance to do so. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought, you know, this, this is just totally not worth it. So whilst I was on holiday in Bali at that point, someone pointed me to the book, The 4-Hour Workweek by Tim Ferriss, and that was a big, big wake-up call for me to make me um, feel comfortable with 
feeling discontented with the current um, status quo in terms of my working life, I thought, okay, so this is normal for people to feel like this. It's not just me. Uh, and there is an alternative. So I applied a lot of the stuff I learned in that book and um, mainly took away the principles of questioning everything and trying to reinvent uh, my, my own lifestyle. And yeah. from there, I started a an online health store, which I've still got um, 10 years later and, or sorry, eight years later. And we, um, I also started doing a lot of presentations and talks and then obviously got into keynote speaking and that became a, um, a career path for me as well, a good a vocation. So mm. uh, that was a big moment for me and, and just sort of being comfortable with not earning a lot for a few years but living the best lifestyle ever. I mean, mm. surfing every day, chilling out on the beach, doing a little bit of work here and there, traveling the world for a couple of years. Um, that was where it all kicked off by reading the four-hour work week. Uh, and I was only able to do it because I was so passionate, passionate yeah. and I guess skilled up in those two areas, surfing mm. and, um, and health and well-being. So, yeah, it was quite a liberating sort of experience to do that and I've sort of followed it ever since. I've definitely picked up a lot more work as in uh, my uh, career pursuits have taken a bigger chunk of my life at the moment. Um, which I'm comfortable with because, you know, they are big passions of mine. It's very much less about kicking back reading books on the beach now as opposed to, um, you know, working on myself and working on my career. Um, yeah. But I still live a very, very comfortable lifestyle. I get to work from home. I spend a lot of time at cafes. I spend a lot of time surfing. Uh, I spend a lot of time speaking with and recording things, you know, with, with various wellness experts and um, professors and doctors and, and all the rest of it. So it's a pretty interesting run um but it all started yeah with the four-hour work week nice man and how do you, how long did you feel because like i help coaches i help early stage coaches get their online business off the ground so um i mean a big dream with all that my target market is to you know just basically what you described there being able to work from home being able to have an, an impact on the world change people's lives but have the freedom to kind of do what they want yeah if they want to go for a surf or if they they want to go go to the cafe or whatever it is. Yeah. But how long, if how long did it really take you to get going from when you left channel 10? Um, you said you started freelancing. How long did it kind of take you to get going where things weren't as tight financially, I guess. Um, I mean, I was lucky enough that I still lived at home when that was all happening. So uh, I could sort of use that buffer. I didn't have, you know, three five hundred dollars um, leaving my account every week on rent. Um, so I sort of took that buffer, saved a little bit of money during my last couple of months at Channel Ten, um, and then just travelled and sort of bounced between stuff. So I probably lived on twenty grand a year for for probably four years there, um, and. Yeah but had the best lifestyle ever, you know, traveled to Sri Lanka and India and Nepal and Africa. I did a whole bunch of Africa, um, did America for six months and, and El Salvador and Mexico and, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So um, I did definitely sacrificed income because I didn't spend a whole bunch of time trying to build the business per se um, yeah. and just took little bits of work here and there, like whether it was filming for someone or, um, doing a presentation for someone. I'd also written a couple of books at that point. I had some online courses. So I was sort of automating things um, so that I had that drip feed going on. Yeah. Um, 
and you know, once it, we were in Sri Lanka and I, st- I lived in Sri Lanka for three months and we were living off, um, we, we stayed in a place right on the beach above a surf break for $7 a night. Um, you know, and you're eating, you're eating five to $7 meals three times a day. So you're spending like 30 or 40 bucks a day. Uh, yeah. So it's not that hard to make 30 or $40 a day um, online, you know, passively. Mm. So mm. it was a pretty cool thing. I reckon it probably took about six months for me to establish that. It was a pretty clean transition from Network 10. Um, but that's put probably because I had a lot of people give me some opportunities in terms of talking and, and building my database and building up a bit of a fan base, if you will, um, or just people who were just interested in what I was doing um, and sort of took it from there. I really think that Kevin Kelly article I think it's Kevin Kelly, where he wrote um, 1,000 True Fans. I think that's quite a relevant article still today. If you have 1,000 fans spending $100 on you a year, that's $100,000 income. So at that point, I probably had 200 fans spending $100 on me a year. So I had, um, I don't even know if that works out, but I had whatever, whatever yeah. cool, I think it is. Yeah, I had 20 grand a year to play with yeah. um, and just sort of built it from there. But yeah, it's obviously morphed and changed and um, over time and it's become a lot more serious now, which comes with all the, uh, the inherent challenges that come from having a bigger business and employing people and all that sort of stuff. But it's all worth it in the end. Yeah, nice, man. So you, I guess you, what I'm hearing from that is, first thing, if you're kind of getting into business is reduce your expenses because if you can live off next to nothing or so little, then the financial stress of you maybe. Because the thing is, is most people give up. They get into business and they, they, they pull the pin because the stresses are too much or they play a short-term game. But it sounds like that you were just like, well, I'm here for the long term. Um, I don't have as much pressure to make this thing work tomorrow. So I can enjoy the moment more, which you know ultimately is going to help me go the, the distance. Is that right? Yeah. And I mean, like I said, living at home, it's sort of those expenses were... Um, mm sort of nullified from the start uh now that i live in sydney and you know we're spending 500 bucks a week or whatever on rent um it's very different i can't really do that but yeah you know we we hack things here as well we airbnb our place when we're not here um Mm. you know it's just like all those little little things just to take the pressure off and um yeah sometimes i guess we're too quick to discount those little things and i'm and this is coming from someone, I'm not a money saver. Like I'm shocking at cutting expenses right, and okay. um, living cheap, cheaply, you know, um, or, or doing so, doing life cheaply with that intention. I probably do life cheaply just inherently as mm-hmm. a side effect of the, the way that I live. Um, but, you know, when it comes to like food, for example, I spend a lot of money on food because I like to get organic, um, good quality food. Um, I spend quite a lot of money on travel. Uh, you know, like if I'm traveling more than five hours, I'll uh, do my best to, to get a business class seat because it's much better for my health if I do that. Yeah, um, you yeah. know, so, so there's a couple of little things where I don't really um, compromise these days. It probably was different back then. Um, but yeah, this is definitely not uh, someone who's just living van life and, and um, cutting costs left, right and center. It's, um, yeah, it's just a step that I think some, sometimes we have to take to enable ourselves to, um, to make it happen. I think Gary Vee talks about this all the time, doesn't he? He talks about like moving back in with your parents and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, pretty much, man. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> okay. So um, let's talk your, your latest documentary. So the longevity film. Um, mate, where did, the, where did the idea come from to do this? 
Yeah, so I'd done the gut movie before that. That was my journey to Namibia to live with the San tribe in um, the desert in Namibia. And mm-hmm. we looked at uh, gut health. So that was a very zoomed in experience. Like we were, uh, everything was under a microscope. It was microbiome, microbes, all these bacteria and different sorts of things. It was one area of health and I could see that people wanted to latch on to that one area as if it was the be all end all. And I could have probably taken advantage of that and, you know, I did a gut movie too and, you know, did, did all the rest of it. Um, but I sort of thought that what was more, what was needed more so was uh, a film that zoomed out and looked at uh, whole health, you know, looked at health and wellbeing from a macro perspective and looked at not only diet, but also things like movement, things like community and socialising, things like attitude. Uh, and to do that, I always like to incorporate some sort of adventure and travel into, into the stories that I do. So um, I decided that it would be important to go and visit people and talk about people who uh, exemplify these ideas, who age really well, who live really well now, who don't get sick. Um, so for that, I went to the world, three of the five, uh, blue zones around the world. And these are little pockets of longevity where, um, pockets of people where they exhibit extreme longevity and extreme health and wellbeing now. So that's what uh, a blue so zone is, is it? Yeah. I, yeah. So we, I mean, admittedly, mate, my um, wife and I, we rocked up late. We're about probably 10 minutes late to the to your doco so then um mm-hmm. i think mm-hmm. you must have explained what the blue zone was and i'm i was just i'm thinking what's this blue zone what's this blue zone okay so a blue zone's classified as as an area where people live longer than the the rest or the majority yeah so between maybe five to ten years longer than yeah, cool. everybody else and they also do so with a fraction of the disease i mean in low yeah. melinda for example um in California, they're living 10 years longer than the rest of California on average. And mm. they um, have vastly improved health and well-being, 78% less stroke, um, 68% less heart disease, you know, th- crazy statistics like that. Yeah. Um, so they've done a lot of travel and those are the five areas. Sardinia in Italy, in the Coya Peninsula in Costa Rica, those two we didn't visit. Um, mm. But then we visited Okinawa in Japan, an island off Japan, Loma Linda in California and Ikaria, an island in Greece. Um, so we got to visit them and use that journey as a bit of a, a platform upon which to explore longevity from those four main pillars, your nutrition, your movement, your community and your mindset. Um, so that, that was pretty cool. I got to interview some really, really uh, prominent doctors in the space like Dr. Mark Hyman and, and um, Paul Check and Nick Butner and Daniel Vitalis, you know, so some really good people in the in the lifestyle space. So mm. yeah, it was a pretty cool experience. And um, I think it all sparked off with wanting to do that, tell that zoomed out story to, to get people to relax a little bit and also document my journey from being perhaps a little uh, fanatical about my health and wellbeing to being a lot more relaxed and sustainable. Mm, and th- you know what, because that's the thing that I took out of the doco the, the most. Um, a lot of the things that you went through I had heard of, but it's the taking the step back and the fanatical approach that we tend to do. Um, that was the the biggest thing that I learned from it all. Um, are you, so are you still, are you saying that you're a vego? Are you still a vego now? No, no. So how long um, haven't you been a vego for? 
I was a vegetarian when I was about 16 to 18 and then I actually went raw vegan for about a year and a half or a year yep. uh, and then started bringing some animal protein back into my uh, diet just after listening to my body and seeing what was happening. Gotcha. So what would you be, you know, if you travel around the world, you've been to these, you know, awesome places, like what would be, like what, are you, what were your biggest learnings out of the whole thing? Yeah, I think they did centre around um, community in a big way. That that was probably the biggest thing that I took away. Um, these guys, these cultures build their lives around community and they very much live for each other as much as for themselves. Um, and that constant socialising is not something that we see here. We are... Yeah. Uh, you know, we often go to work and we're exhausted and we come home and we want to be alone and watch TV alone and do all these sorts of things. But people in these cultures spend time with other people all the time, every mm. single day. Um, they move a lot. So they don't go to the gym for 45 minutes in the morning and then sit for the next 14 hours. They actually move throughout the entire day. Um, they have this very strong present state awareness about them uh, in their busyness. You know, they're not, they're not just kicking back. They, they don't just lay back in the sun and, and sleep and that sort of thing, even though they do <laughs> might, might have a couple of naps. Um, yeah. But they, they actually work quite hard, uh, but they, they do so in a different way. Like we here, when we're busy, we're uh, frantic. Um, these guys are the opposite of frantic. They're so calm. They're so present in how they actually uh, follow that schedule, um, that busyness. Uh, and I think that just calms down their nervous system. It offers a whole bunch of uh, health benefits. And uh, these guys are, are living examples of that. You know, they're, they're experiencing incredible health and well-being. So for me, it was very much bringing those things back and going, okay, well, what do I need to look at with my diet? Well, perhaps I need to start going a lot more towards a seasonal, local, organic whole foods diet like um, most of the Blue Zones eat. With movement, perhaps I need to um, maybe focus more on going for a lot of walks throughout the day as opposed to finding 45 minutes in the middle of the day to go to the gym and then smash myself and get sore for the next three days. Perhaps... Um, in terms of community, it's about me actually stepping out of the house as often as possible, walking down to the um, health cafes and chatting with people and not being afraid to spend 10, 15, 20 minutes um, chatting with someone down the street. Uh, it's it, With my attitude, it's perhaps relaxing a lot more um, and finding more opportunities to slow down as opposed to uh, feeling that pressure and that rush that we all uh, feel, I think, in, in Western society, what the Okinawans call hurry sickness. Um, perhaps it's spending a little bit more time uh, surfing. Maybe it's, it's, it's doing some meditation. Uh, it's not taking myself too seriously. It's really putting things into perspective. And I think... Um, that sort of recipe, all those things have changed uh, for, for me. But the biggest thing perhaps um, was, the, was the, the ideas around community, um, that they were probably most significant and how important it is to socialise uh, every single day and feel loved and secure in, in your community. Awesome, man. And were you saying that um, they were all religious? Yeah, so most of them have some sort of um, guiding religion uh, that they live by. Uh, the only sort of um, strict religion, uh, religious community was 
I say that in a sort of blasé way, as strict yeah. as in it's quite a guiding philosophy and that sort of guides their everyday activities. Um, we're the Seventh-day Adventists in Loma Linda, so that's the Seventh-day Adventist community. Um, you know, this community is very interesting in that they have no geographical boundaries, no, no natural borders or anything like that. The neighbouring suburb has one of the highest murder rates in the country. Uh, you jump over the freeway and you're in Loma Linda, one of the blue zones. Um, yeah. And the only thing that these guys do differently from, say, us here in Sydney even, is that they are Seventh-day Adventists. So they constantly come together as a community and they really evangelise health and well-being. Part of their scriptures is to be vegetarian or pescatarian, so they sort of avoid red meat. Um, not that that is a necessity to, to be healthy, but that's um, generally... Uh, when they do that, they're encouraged to not replace it with fake meat or anything like that, but to actually just eat a whole bunch of plants, uh, mm-hmm. which is always going to be good. Um, in their uh, scriptures, they also are encouraged to take a nature walk, you know, uh, every single week. So on from Friday sundown to Saturday sundown, they spend no time on their technology, no time for work. It's all uh, fun and family. So right. often like they'll go camping out in the mountains or they'll go for walks or they'll um, go and volunteer. They have a really big emphasis on volunteering and being of service to your community. Um, and then on Sundays, of course, they spend time uh, with each other and with God at church. Uh, so that was the only really embedded uh, religious community where, where the religion was embedded in their daily lifestyle. But for the Icareans, um, you know, the, the Panagiri that we went to, the big party that kicks off, with a religious celebration at the start that only probably 5 to 10% of the people attend. Um, in Okinawa, they're very spiritual. They have their own sort of um, stuff going on there, which the women take major roles in. So as the women get older, they become the spiritual leaders and they, they um, you know, uh, are responsible for communicating with ancestors, um, gone past ancestors and stuff like that. Um, and I believe it is the case in Sardinia uh, and the Nicoya Peninsula and Costa Rica as well. So, yeah, I think it is a big component, but I don't think it's um, something we necessarily need to take on. I don't know if it's the religion itself that's actually creating the health and well-being. I think it's what the religion inspires in people. Um, gotcha. Daniel yeah. Vitalis talked about this. He was sort of saying that when you engage in a religion and it's common throughout your community, you kind of just you you essentially all come to an agreement as as um, in terms of where the universe came from and what you're here to do, and so you just get to get to work together, yep. you know. Um, so it creates like a balm uh, for the human condition. It creates uh, meaning. It offers meaning out of suffering and life and death, uh, and that's something that we really suffer from. It's got a total stranglehold on us uh, here in the West and um, especially in Australia where we are largely agnostic. Um, I think we, we don't understand death and, and we fear it and we're scared of it. And as a result, we, we do am aging as well. And we do all sorts of funny things like inject Botox into our face and, and um, you know, do, engage with all these crazy extreme anti-aging slash anti-whatever um, diets and activities when, yeah. A religious system for these guys just gives them a guiding set of rules and philosophies um, to live life. And a lot of those are quite healthy, um, especially as Seventh-day Adventists. A lot of them encourage healthy behaviours. So, um, yeah, I think it was a big part, but it may not necessarily be something that we have to adopt. We certainly need to adopt some sort of 
spiritual practice or spiritual understanding at least that will um, help us find meaning in suffering because we're all going to suffer. We're all going to experience death and and all these different things. And if we allow those things to be totally traumatic, then we're not going to fare well. Uh, So we do need to create some sort of system that helps us navigate the inherent challenges of life. And I think that's what the religion does for these people. Okay. Yeah, because I, I found out of out of all of them, the, is it Loma Linda? Is it Loma Linda? Loma Linda. Yeah, I, I found that to be the most um, that town to be the most interesting because you'd think that uh, if we're going to be if we're going to be studying cultures and places where people live the most uh, the longest, the happiest, the healthiest, it's going to be by the beach. It's going to be with nature. It's going to be carefree. It's going to be relaxed and all that type of thing. But then you look at that town, and like you said, next door is you know, there's a high crime rate and it's just in the middle of Los Angeles, which is a crazy busy city. Um, what do you feel like out of, say, the Western world, out of all the, those commonalities between them, what do you think the hardest thing would be for us to adopt? Um, community part because we're so busy now. We're, we're so busy. We've allowed ourselves to become so busy um, we're pressed for money. We're pressed for time. Uh, it's very difficult for people to engage authentically with everyone else. And with the rise of social media, it's uh, created a perhaps a crutch for us to lean upon without without uh, the pillar of community. And we feel like when we engage on Instagram or Facebook, we feel a short sense of community, but it's not the same. All the studies tend to show that we don't get the same benefit from reading something on a screen, receiving a text message that we do from receiving even a phone call or speaking with someone face-to-face. There is a big neurochemical um, cascading effect that takes place when we do that, when we speak with someone in person and when we hear the timbre of their voice. Um, and that doesn't happen through the phone. And I think that's one of the biggest things that we're going to have to challenge because people, we're totally addicted to our phones. Uh, yeah. And we're, we're scared of that. We're more scared than ever to actually go out there and be authentic and engage with other people, which is so sad, um, yeah. especially um, this younger generation. It's, it's shocking. But the research shows that even people who consider themselves introverts feel better after engaging with other human beings. Like we don't have an excuse to ignore this. So I think that's going to be the biggest thing. Um, But there's also the challenge of, you know, encouraging and teaching people how to grow their own food or or get in touch with a seasonal local organic diet. Um, That's hard to do again because of how busy we are. Um, So, and, and movement as well. Everyone's sitting at a desk working on a computer. How do we encourage people or how do we get people to move throughout the day whilst keeping them productive? Um, there's a lot of big challenges, but they're certainly ones we can overcome if we actually uh, start to have these large-scale conversations. Um, but that's the biggest thing is just getting people talking about this. Um, I don't think that anyone's deliberately trying to shorten our lives or, or, or make us sick. Mm. Um, I think we're just ignoring uh, the requirements of being a human being in the pursuit of um vast profits you know and and that's got to change we've got to actually start putting our health and well-being first because we can't continue to grow economically um if we don't look after you know the engine and sort of um give it some servicing every single day so yeah i think we've got to work on 
on all those pillars. You know, there's, there's a tremendous emotional stress going on in um, this society. Uh, something that's come up a lot during this film tour has been, you know, chatting with people and, and people just sharing with me, you know, how much they suffer from anxiety, and how much they suffer from depression. Mm. Um, and it, it's huge. It's, it's pervasive. People are more lonely than ever. In fact, loneliness is being considered worse for us than smoking, obesity and substance abuse. So nuts, we've it? got to overcome these things. Yeah. Mm. And, and it just takes steps to start to counteract the, the direction that society is going. Mate, love it. Well, um, mate, I want to I want to finish off with um, five big questions. I I was putting together some stuff yesterday. I'm thinking, what can I end this thing with? I normally rapid <laughs> fire questions, mate. So, here's your first five questions. So they're just like random stuff, yeah. Um, first one's like a real cliche one because I'm a bit of a cliche dude. So if you could if you could like speak to anyone, have an interview, have a discussion, have a conversation, anyone in the world that's dead or alive, who would it be, and like why? Mm. there's a few but kelly slater (laughs) for (laughs) for obvious reasons (laughs) yeah um okay second one is what would what would be the one trait that you've got that's massively helped you to get to where you are in life now um a disregard for convention can you elaborate on that yeah i don't care what's considered normal or i don't care what other people want from me i'm just gonna do what i want to do gotcha so you're living your life for you not anyone else yeah that might change when i have kids you know that that'll change eventually but right now it's just i pursue things uh and do things for me but um what makes me happy is, is doing things that I think contribute positively to society. Gotcha. All right. So 30 years time in generalized terms, whatever this means to you, do you think the world's going to be a better place or a worse place and why? The world? Hell yeah. Uh, oh gosh. Uh, no, I think it'll be a better place. I think it has to, we're at a peak now where I think we have to start to come over the ridge, uh, the internet has been huge in that. Um, it, it's really taken off the blinders in terms of corruption and oppression. Uh, uh, and we finally realised that we're all oppressed. Uh, there's not just a, a tiny segment of society who is oppressed by one gender or skin colour. We are all oppressed by a handful of powerful people who need to be um, shunned away and locked away uh, and, and stopped. And, and the, you know, we need to actually start to take back control of where our food comes from, how we spend our time and how much money we, we are um, robbed of each year by the government. All right. Well, what's one of your biggest learnings in life so far? Um, that there is no end game. It's just a series of obstacles which you need to enjoy. Otherwise, you will drive yourself crazy. <laughs> <laughs> nice, man. And who do you want to be known as? Uh, kale's broccoli. <laughs> Beautiful, man. All right. So, um, mate, where can, um, where can, well, kale's broccoli. So not kale broccoli. <laughs> no, kale broccoli is fine. Kale broccoli. <laughs> so mate, where can people find you? Where can people see the longevity film? 
Uh, yeah, so they can join me on Instagram, as we said, at Kale's Broccoli or on YouTube at Kale's Broccoli uh, and they can find the film just at kalebrock.com, K-A-L-E-B-R-O-C-K.com. Everything I've done, the four books, the two films, it's all, it's all there. Hey there, hope you enjoyed this week's episode. Make sure you click subscribe to stay up to date with podcasts that I release every couple of weeks. And if you've enjoyed the the episode, please, I really, really appreciate it if you leave me a review. And you can also find me on Instagram at LukePage underscore underscore underscore.